We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. away we go episode 109 of the Al Galdi podcast it is Tuesday July 27th 2021 day one of Washington football team training camp yes it is beginning today the offseason is over training camp is beginning this is truly the start of of Washington football team season. Yes, we're still a month and a half away from the start of the regular season, but training camp marks the beginning of the Washington football team season from a news cycle standpoint. Practices are happening. Press conferences are taking place. People are reporting things. And in some cases, contracts are getting done, as was the case on Monday, as the start of training camp ended up serving as an unofficial deadline for a contract extension for Jonathan Allen, and the deal got done. This was great news. I was thrilled to see this on Monday afternoon. Jonathan Allen ain't going nowhere. In-depth reaction coming up next segment on this, a loaded show when it comes to the Washington football team. Special guest, Steve Zabin. Yes, the Zabe will be on the Al Galdi podcast. The recent run of former Galdi co-workers, the recent run of Fog, Friends of Galdi, continues with Zabe. We'll talk Washington football team, or Wolfskins, as he likes to say, including what is an appropriate level of optimism for this coming season, and is Ron Rivera the head coach who can actually thrive under Dan Snyder? Can Don Ron conquer the beast? That is the Danny. We'll also talk some Wizards with Zabe as uh, we await word from Bradley Beal. Like awaiting smoke from the Sistine Chapel on the election of a new pope, we are awaiting word from Beal on whether he is asking to be traded from the Wizards. And Zabe, who's now doing radio in Milwaukee, will explain what really is going on between Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. I've never felt that the Packers would trade Rodgers this offseason. It is looking more and more like he, in fact, isn't going anywhere, at least not right now. Speaking of disgruntled quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson, it turns out that the Houston Texans are open 
to trading him. Should Washington be in on Watson? I have some very strong thoughts on that. And we will conclude my position group by position group breakdown of the Washington football team heading into training camp by talking special teams. Who will be Washington's primary punt returner off Washington, having been woeful on punt returns over the last four seasons? Also, the Nationals. As if we needed more convincing that they need to be sellers come Friday's MLB trade deadline, we got what we got on Monday night, a 6-5 walk-off loss at the Philadelphia Phillies as Brad Hand blew it again. You know, Brad Hand is blowing his trade value right now. He, on Monday night, gave up a one-out first pitch, walk-off, three-run homer to Andrew McCutcheon. This is, we had reports swirling late Monday afternoon and into the night that the Nats are listening to trade offers for not just the free agents-to-be, but also for Trey Turner. We could have a fire sale by the Nats this week. Full analysis later in the show. I'll also have some thoughts for you on a trade that the Capitals made late on Monday night. If you are new to the Al Galdi podcast, it's great to have you on board. If you have been with the podcast for a while, I thank you sincerely for your support. This is a five days per week podcast, new episode each weekday, Monday through Friday out by 5 a.m. We focus on DC sports like no other podcast or radio show. We do a ton on the Washington football team on every show. If you don't already subscribe to the podcast, please consider subscribing to the pod. Uh, Doing so costs you nothing. And if you haven't yet given the podcast a five-star rating and written just a brief sentence or two on how much you like the podcast, please consider doing so. Those things don't take long. They do help out a lot. I always enjoy hearing from you. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from the Burgundy Breakdown off the Washington football team signing Jonathan Allen to a contract extension. Perhaps John Allen's comments on preferring Wolves or Red Wolves mean a bit more now. Uh, Yes, Jonathan Allen has been supportive of Red Wolves or Wolves as the permanent name. A tweet from Adam Wells on the Washington football team signing Allen to this contract extension. This is a great deal and a sign of big time change. Actually, some foresight here. So it's interesting that you say that. What's funny about that is that Washington actually has signed a bunch of guys to contract extensions over the last decade. But what stand out the most are the two situations that did not result in long-term contract extensions because those situations instead resulted in back-to-back franchise tags, the Kirk Cousins and Brandon Sheriff situations. Brandon Scherf. Yes, Brandon Scherf. Thank you, Commissioner. But actually, the list of guys who Washington has signed to contract extensions over the last decade is fairly long. Uh, Trent Williams, Ryan Kerrigan, Jordan Reed, Morgan Moses, Matt Ioannidis, Chase Roulier, Chris Thompson, Quentin Dunbar, Taylor Heineke. I mean, technically, Taylor Heineke got signed to a two-year contract extension this offseason. Now, obviously, not all of these deals were mega money deals, but all of these guys have been extended via multi-year contracts over the last decade. It's just so hard to ignore the two situations that did not result in multi-year contracts, at least not yet. I guess we'll see if Washington re-signs Sheriff to a multi-year contract next offseason. I have no faith that will happen, but who knows? Brandon Scherf. Yes, thank you. Well, a man who may well have played a role in Washington re-signing Jonathan Allen 
is Dr. Matthew Mintz. He's a big Washington football team fan. He's capable of many things. I wouldn't put it past him, but we're thrilled to have Dr. Matthew Mintz as a supporter of the Al Galdi podcast as Washington football team training camp begins. Dr. Mintz is an internal medicine and primary care physician who is rated as a top doctor by both Washingtonian and Bethesda magazines. If you need a regular doctor, he is accepting patients in his concierge practice. Dr. Mintz also offers something very special and groundbreaking in the treatment of depression called Spravato. So Spravato is a new FDA-approved medication shown to be safe and effective in patients with what is called treatment-resistant depression. You see, while most patients respond to traditional prescription medications for depression, up to one-third of patients do not improve even after two or more medications. This is called treatment-resistant depression which can be debilitating for patients and lead to thoughts of suicide, even suicide attempts. If you or someone you know is dealing with treatment-resistant depression, understand it doesn't have to be this way. Spravato is a nose spray administered in a doctor's office. Unlike most pills that can take weeks to work, Spravato can work right after the first treatment. And because Spravato is approved by the FDA, Spravato is covered by most insurance companies. Dr. Mintz will work with your insurance company to make sure that Spravato is approved and understand that for most patients, the cost of each dose is only $10. Yeah, $10, totally worth it to get your life back. And for patients with Medicare, Medicaid, or Kaiser, or with an insurance that doesn't cover Spravato, Dr. Mintz is also able to administer nasal ketamine, a nose spray similar to Spravato, and that treatment should cost less than $10 per treatment, even without insurance. Spravato can only be administered in authorized healthcare settings, and Dr. Matthew Mintz is one of the few physicians in the DMV who is authorized to administer Spravato in his private Bethesda office. Dr. Mintz and his staff will monitor you closely throughout your treatment to ensure your comfort and safety. You can find out more by going to drmintz.com. That's drmintz.com and clicking on the Spravato link. But if you, a friend, or a loved one have depression that is not getting better with traditional treatments or medications, there's no need to continue to suffer contact Dr. Mintz to find out if Spravato may be right for you. You can call Dr. Mintz's office at 855-646-8963. And make sure that you mention this podcast, the Al Galdi podcast, because doing so will get you $50 off your initial consultation. That phone number again, 855-646-8963. If you are suffering from treatment-resistant depression, you need suffer no more. Contact Dr. Matthew Mintz. He's a great guy, big Washington football team fan, and tell him that Al Galdi sent you. It is always good to go into something significant with some momentum, with some energy, with some juice, with some oomph. And we got that something on Monday for the start of Washington football team training camp On this Tuesday, the agency for Jonathan Allen on Monday afternoon announcing that Allen has signed a four-year, $72 million contract extension with the Washington football team. Four years, $72 million. That works out to an $18 million average annual value, AAV. That's up there, uh, no doubt. That's a top 10 AAV in terms of interior defensive lineman, but that's okay. Uh, A, Jonathan Allen is very good. B, the AAV will only look better as time goes on 
and the salary cap soars. As I like to say, today's overpay is tomorrow's bargain. This had been one of the big storylines of the offseason. Would Washington sign Jonathan Allen to a contract extension? This upcoming season was to be a contract season for Allen. That's no longer the case. Uh, Now the belief is that he still is set to play in the upcoming season under the terms of the fifth-year option in his rookie contract. Washington exercised that option in April 2020. You could frame things as, okay, one-year, $10 million deal this season under the terms of the fifth-year option, and then the four-year, $72 million kick in. If you do it that way, it's a five-year, $18 million deal. That works out to an AAV of just over $16 million. So if that's more palatable for you, knock yourself out. But even if you go with the four for 72, I'm fine with an $18 million AAV. And here's the bottom line here. Jonathan Allen now is under contract for the next five seasons, 2021 through 2025. The 2021 season will be Allen's age 26 season. So Washington now has Allen under team control for his age 26 through age 30 seasons. That is outstanding. A very good player has been locked up for the remainder of his 20s. That's how you do it. That's what a smart, aggressive, forward-thinking front office does as the deal did get done. And I know a lot of you were fearful that a deal would not get done. I heard from you people, and I think we all at least wondered whether a deal would get done. But something that I brought up was not to let the calendar scare you. Like this idea of, well, we're this late in the summer, this late in the offseason, a deal still hasn't been arrived at. That must mean that a deal won't be arrived at. And I said, well, hold on here now, okay? Because Washington has gotten big money contract extensions done with players around this time of year before. Ryan Kerrigan's big money contract extension got done in late July 2015. Trent Williams' big money contract extension got done in late August 2015. So Allen's deal ends up getting done in late July 2021. Jonathan Allen checks pretty much every box there is when it comes to whether you should pay a guy big money. He's young. He's good. He's durable. He's a good dude. I mean, there you go. What what more are you looking for here from a player? Like I said, he's going into just his age 26 season. He had a very good 2020 season. I don't think he gets enough credit for his 2020 season. Allen in the 2020 regular season was number five on Washington in defensive snaps at 77.42%. This for a Washington defense that made major across-the-board improvements from the 2019 regular season. Allen in the 2020 regular season had an overall grade per pro football focus of 80.3. And Allen in the 2020 regular season had the best pass rushing season of his career. Now, you get no sense of this if you just look at his sack total, which was two. Uh, He, over the previous two regular seasons, had a combined 14 sacks. But his pass rush win rate per pro football focus was outstanding in the 2020 regular season. Pass rush win rate measures the percentage of plays on which a pass rusher beats his blocker, regardless of whether that rep results in pressure. Allen in the 2020 regular season ranked number eight among all qualified interior defensive linemen in pass rush win rate at 17%. Jonathan Allen has been durable. Yes, he in his 2017 rookie season did play in just five games due to a Liz Frank injury. But Allen over the last three seasons, 2018 through 2020, has played in 47 of a possible 48 regular season games. You know, so much for why Jonathan Allen fell in the 2017 NFL draft. Remember, Washington took Allen with the number 17 pick 
in the 2017 draft out of Alabama, off him having been projected to be a top 10, if not top 5 pick. Allen fell in the draft due to concerns about having arthritic shoulders and also off having not had a great performance at the 2017 NFL Scouting Combine. But with the shoulders, we haven't heard word one about the shoulders over his four-season NFL career. And Jonathan Allen is a leader. And you always have to be careful with this stuff because we only know so much when it comes to athletes as people and how they are behind the scenes. But every indication about Jonathan Allen is that he is legit. He is an ideal model for the Ron Rivera culture change. Allen is accountable. Allen is dependable. Allen is no drama. There are no controversies with Jonathan Allen. There are no cryptic words from Jonathan Allen. Take it back to June 9th. Jonathan Allen, post-minicamp practice press conference, got asked about Washington defensive linemen having to have changed their technique for last season with the switch to the 4-3 base defense. Here's what Allen said. I feel like in the media is made out to be bigger than what it is. As a defensive line, I get paid to whoop people's asses. So it doesn't really matter what scheme I'm in. It could be a 3-4-4-3, Like it, it really doesn't matter to me. I get paid to stuff the run and rush the pass. And reg- See? <laughs> there you go. Vintage Jonathan Allen right there. Direct to the point. No fluff. No excuses. He gets paid to whoop up on people. I get paid to whoop people's asses. Yeah, I love that. And I know those are just words in June. They mean nothing for what happens September through December. But like I said, I do believe that Jonathan Allen is genuine. I said with Dwayne Haskins after Strippergate last December that there was a phoniness to Haskins, a lack of authenticity with Haskins that was really off-putting. I get the exact opposite sense from Jonathan Allen. You win in football with people like Jonathan Allen. It's always a good look when a team rewards its own. Washington has done that with Allen. And while, yes, keeping all of these defensive linemen long-term will be tricky, it's also not impossible. I am not one of these gloom and doom people who believes that Washington has no chance of keeping Allen, Deron Payne, Matt Ioannidis, Chase Young, and Montez Sweat long-term. There is a way to do this. The way involves being aggressive and signing these guys to contract extensions well before these guys hit free agency. The way involves not doing the franchise tag dance, a la what Washington did with Kirk Cousins and now is doing with Brandon Sheriff. Washington is off to a good start in terms of trying to keep these defensive linemen long-term in signing Jonathan Allen to this four-year, $72 million contract extension. So what would the start of Washington football team training camp be without something juicy to chew on? We on Monday had multiple reports that the Houston Texans earlier in the offseason had changed their stance on trading Deshaun Watson and in fact have been willing to field offers for Watson. We have known since January that Deshaun Watson has been unhappy with the Texans. We also had heard and read that the Texans were not interested in trading Watson Well, now it turns out that that wasn't exactly true, as is the case many times in sports and in life. What we were told wasn't exactly the case. In terms of what it would take to trade for Deshaun Watson, how about what was out there on Monday? Two NFL executives told ESPN NFL insider Chris Mortensen that the Texans' price for Watson has been a combination of five high draft picks and starting caliber players. Five high draft picks and starting caliber players. So in other words, two first round picks, 
and three starting caliber players, or three first-round picks and two starting caliber players. NFL insider Tom Pelissero of NFL Network and NFL.com reported that trading for Watson would, quote, likely take at least three first-round picks and more, end quote. Now, it has been obvious that trading for Deshaun Watson would require giving up a lot, but it still is something just seeing those terms out there. Also, we have this, and who knows how much something like this is worth, but Watson's personal quarterbacks coach, Quincy Avery, on Friday told ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter regarding Watson, quote, I'm 100% sure he'll be traded at some point in the coming future. I think the Texans have made the decision to move on. He didn't want to be there. They're ready to move on. All they want is fair market value for him, and they'll get a lot, end quote. So, of course, all of this begs the following question. What about the Washington football team? Is the Washington football team in on Deshaun Watson? Should the Washington football team be in on Deshaun Watson? It's worth remembering that, as best as we can tell, Washington previously has not been in on Deshaun Watson. NFL insider John McClain of the Houston Chronicle was on B. Mitch and Finley on 106.7 The Fan all the way back on March 2nd, and McLean said that he had, quote, not heard Washington come up one time, end quote, regarding the Washington football team potentially trading for Deshaun Watson. Now, that was all the way back on March 2nd. A lot has happened since then, but of course, among the things that have happened since then is that Washington has signed Ryan Fitzpatrick. I have said previously that I would be in on Deshaun Watson, that I would be willing to trade whatever it would take to get Deshaun Watson. He is young. The 2021 season will be just his age 26 season. Yeah, age 26 season. Do you know this? Watson is one day older than Terry McLaurin. One day older. That's it. Watson still is so young. Uh, Watson, of course, is great. He, in the 2020 regular season, even in no longer playing with DeAndre Hopkins, finished with the following rankings. Number one in the NFL in yards per pass attempt at 8.87. Number one in the NFL in passing yards at 4,823. Number three in the NFL in completion percentage at 70.2. And number 12 in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR at 70.5. And Watson is under team control for years to come. He, in September 2020, signed a four-year, $156 million contract extension that takes him through the 2025 season. So from purely a football standpoint, there are so many reasons for the Washington football team to trade whatever it takes to get Deshaun Watson. He is a franchise quarterback, something that Washington, as you may know, hasn't truly had in decades. However, there is, of course, much more to the Deshaun Watson situation than just the football. And the much more, to me, is a deal breaker. It was this past March that a series of civil lawsuits against Deshaun Watson began. Ultimately, 22 civil lawsuits were filed by massage therapists against Watson, accusing him of a range of actions during massage appointments from March 2020 through March 2021. The alleged actions include, and if you have kids listening right now, you may want to skip ahead 15 or 30 seconds, but the alleged actions include Watson not covering his genitals, 
Watson groping women. Watson touching women's hands with his uh, member. Watson, shall we say, uh, spreading his DNA on a woman's face and body. We'll go ahead and say, and say it that way. And then Watson also forcing oral sex. Yeah. You know, it's one thing to have in the back of your mind. Yeah, is it, aren't there some off-the-field things with Watson? It's another thing to actually be aware of the specifics of what's out there on Deshaun Watson. This is a lot of stuff, and this is serious stuff. Now, Watson's defense attorney, Rusty Harden, on March 31st, released statements from 18 women saying that they had worked with Watson a total of more than 130 times over the previous five years, and that he, quote, never made them feel uncomfortable or demanded anything outside the scope of a professional massage, end quote. Harden, in a news conference on April 9th, said that Watson had been targeted with, quote, a new model for extortion, end quote. But also from Harden in that news conference on April 9th was him conceding that sexual activity did take place between Watson and some of the massage therapists, though those encounters per Harden were consensual. So who knows what's true and what isn't true? I certainly don't know. It does seem that uh, Deshaun Watson has a thing for massages. You know, one of the lawsuits against Watson says that he used, quote, more than 50 different women for massages, end quote. Uh, Also from Harden, by the way, in that news conference on April 9th was him saying that Watson typically receives two or three massages per week. So the dude likes his massages. Uh, There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. It does seem to be, though, a little extreme. Uh, He seems to use a lot of different women for massages, which is kind of interesting. I would just say this. 22 civil lawsuits have been filed by massage therapists against Deshaun Watson. 22. Not one, not two, not five, not even 10. 22. What do you think is more likely? That all 22 of these women are lying and are in cahoots, or that some, most, or all of these women are telling the truth? Like, which scenario to you is more likely? And so let's think about this. We have our Washington football team, which, yes, has been yearning for a franchise quarterback for decades, the way that, you know, a man wandering in the desert is yearning for water, all right? For those of you who watch Better Call Saul, great show, uh, the episode in which Saul and Mike are stranded in the New Mexico desert, and Saul is tired and sunburned and thirsty and uh, ends up drinking his own urine. Uh, Yeah, that was some episode. But yeah, that's the Washington football team in terms of yearning for a franchise quarterback. Our team is Better Call Saul in the desert, yearning for water. So yes, our team is in dire need of a franchise quarterback and has been for decades. And Deshaun Watson is a franchise quarterback. But is our team off the sexual harassment scandal? Is our team off the Beth Wilkinson investigation? Is our team off all of the outrage over Dan Snyder? Is our team, while in the midst of a culture overhaul being led by Ron Rivera, really going to trade a boatload of assets for a guy facing 22 civil lawsuits that have been filed by massage therapists. Is our team really going to trade for potentially the NFL's version of Bill Cosby? Okay, I mean, let's just bottom line this year. Now, the number of accusers for Cosby was 60. 60 women accused Bill Cosby of a variety of offenses, including groping, sexual assault, and rape as far back 
as the 1960s. We, of course, had the news in late June of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court overturning the indecent assault conviction of Cosby and ordering his release from prison, but that's a whole other conversation. But yeah, Cosby had 60 accusers. Watson only, and I put only in quotation marks, has 22, although you may now have to look at that number as being 24. More on that in moments. But you get the idea. Deshaun Watson, who, like Cosby, had this great reputation, now, like Cosby, is perhaps forever tarnished and potentially rightfully so. You know, I can never look at Jell-O Pudding Pops the same way because of what happened with the cause. Jell-O Pudding Pops, Jell-O Pudding Pops, frozen pudding on a stick. Yeah, I mean, Jell-O Pudding Pops for me are forever ruined because of the Bill Cosby scandal. You know, I have to credit one of the loyal listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, Dr. Sabah. She wrote me months ago saying that Deshaun Watson was not a great guy, not because she suspected that he was guilty of sexual misconduct, but because of his complaining with the Texans. And you know what, Dr. Sabah? You may well have been more right than you ever realized. But no way, if I'm Washington, am I giving up what it apparently will take to trade for Deshaun Watson, given these accusations? And again, I'm not saying he's guilty. I don't know what the truth is. I'm also not someone who's big on athletes having to be choir boys. But A, trading for Watson would be a terrible look for the organization given the sexual harassment scandal. B, we have no idea if a major suspension is coming for Watson for violating the NFL's personal conduct policy. C, we have no idea if more allegations are coming. And D, we have no idea if at some point any of this will rise to the level of criminal behavior and he potentially goes to jail. And to that end, did you see what came out later on Monday from ESPN reporter John Barr? Ten women now have filed complaints with Houston police about Deshaun Watson. That's according to Watson's attorney, Rusty Hardin. Hardin spoke with Barr on Monday about the progress of the criminal and civil cases involving Watson. Said Hardin, quote, there are 10 women that have made complaints to the police and, quote, Eight of the women, according to Hardin, are among the 22 women who have alleged in lawsuits that Watson sexually assaulted them or engaged in sexually inappropriate behavior during massage sessions. Two of the women who have filed complaints with Houston police, according to Hardin, have not filed lawsuits against Watson. So that actually makes the number of women who have complaints regarding Watson now 24, not 22. So who knows where this ultimately ends up taking us? Now, if Watson somehow gets cleared of all of this, if we come to find out that most, if not all, of this isn't true, then heck yeah, trade whatever you have to trade to get the guy. But for now, I'm not giving up a boatload of assets to trade for Deshaun Watson. I don't want Bill Cosby as my quarterback. Jello pudding pops, jello pudding pops, frozen pudding on a stick. Exactly. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, as Washington football team training camp is beginning, I'm very pleased right now to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast a special guest, my friend, my pal. I've learned a lot from him over the years. Steve Zabin, the host of his own podcast, The Zabecast, the host of the Steve Zabin Show on 97.3 The Game in Milwaukee, where we have had, of course, controversy for months regarding the unhappiness of Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers. You know, Zabe, it's funny. I was thinking about you and doing radio in Milwaukee. You spend all these years talking about Washington and all of its dysfunction. Now you're on in Milwaukee and you have to talk about Packers dysfunction. It's funny. And you know what the thing, the weirdest part is, Al? It's split the fan base. Yeah. It's probably... 60-40 in Rogers' favor, but not by a whole lot. And of the 60 in the Rogers camp, I'd say half of that 60 is kind of biting their lip 60 because they're not happy. So many people up here are like, he's being a diva, he's being a baby, you know, what's his problem? You know, this is a very blue-collar state and obviously a blue-collar town. And they're just not liking it. And the, you know, the whole Hollywood stuff, that doesn't sit well with him either. And this, this wacky girlfriend of his soon-to-be wife, oh boy, i got to believe she's filling his head with a bunch of wild stuff. But hey, I'm, I, am, I am a huge Rogers stan in this whole situation, which kind of makes me a bit of an outlier, probably, amongst the media. Yeah. But it's, but it's because I come from a different place. I come from a place you know quite well, in which... Our the, the the Wolf's jersey of shame, as I call it. Remember when the uh, Browns used to put that jersey in that display yeah. window? Yeah. With all the names of the quarterbacks they've had, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, well, Dolly, we, we can have that jersey of shame that's every bit as long and as comical as the Browns, right? No doubt. No doubt. Right. So I come from that angle, and I, you know, and also because you and I are on the talent side of things in our business, I... I I, I come, I, I side with talent on this, and I say, look, Rodgers is a pain in the ass. I get it. You wish he'd be more mature. I get it. He's a hot girlfriend, though. They're high maintenance. Either you want to wake up to this hot girlfriend and take all the benefits of it, or then get out of the business. But the time to dump her, the time to split was several months ago. They walked into a trap here because there's no market to trade him now. They wouldn't trade him anyway. So it's kind of given Rodgers the ammunition that he wants to to pull the plug on what should be a Super Bowl contending year. 
What is this ultimately about? Is it about Jordan Love? Is it about a lot more than Jordan Love? Like, if you had to bottom line the root cause of all this, what is that root cause? I think he thinks that the current administration, mainly uh, Mark Murphy, ironically, former Redskin. Yeah. Mark Murphy and Brian, and Brian Gutekunst, the GM, the feeling is that Rodgers thinks they're just a bunch of clown shoes that aren't at all appreciating him and are not running the team the right way. Now, look, they did go to back-to-back NFC title games, lost both, and Rodgers has to own up to being part of that. But I don't think they're total clown shoes. I just think they were tone deaf. This whole move of drafting Jordan Love was a needlessly provocative act that Rodgers has not gotten over because Rodgers is, like all these guys are, and when I say all these guys, I mean the great athletes in sports, he's a weirdo. He's a one-of-one. He's very particular about stuff. He takes things personally, right? Just like the Jordan meme in Last Dance, and I took that personally. (laughs) Everyone's saying, so they trapped a Jordan Love, but that's just because they wanted a backup plan once you were done, and it it makes perfect logical football sense. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I took that personally. That's where he's coming from. Well, it is, of course, training camp season. The Washington football team, the Wolfskins, as you call them, beginning training camp. There is an optimism with the Wolfskins, the likes of which we we haven't had in a while. Yeah, man, where are you kind of on that optimism meter? And what do you make of the season that could be upcoming here for Washington? I'm in the back of the bus having a nice cold beer on the optimism bus for the Wolf. But I'm not up front yelling out the window, throwing beer cans like some of our fan base have been. As always, Goldie, I think the expectations have run a good ways ahead of reality at this point. But hey, that's how you're supposed to live, right? Like, you can boil down the optimism essentially to this. They won seven games last year while dragging candy-ass Dwayne Haskins along for half the season and then replacing him with a dude with one leg. Even if Fitzmagic is not as great as we think, it's still a huge upgrade, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So why not win nine or ten games? And, you know, as Spurrier once said about the NFL, you know, heck, you only have to beat three teams in the division. That's right. And I'm going to say, I say it's two teams this year because I believe Philadelphia is on a long walk in the woods. They should stick. Are you a fan of how Washington attacked the quarterback position in the offseason? I mean, I'm a fan of it. I don't hate it, but I'm realistic about it. Yeah. Like, you know, didn't wasn't the rumor that Fitzpatrick was in the verge of retirement about four days before we signed him? It was out there. He also said he talked to other teams, so it's not quite clear yeah. what the deal was there. Yeah. Well, here, here's the thing. Was it a good move? Was it an upgrade? Yeah, and I'm probably pretty sure it's an upgrade. But I judge it on how deft was the move. Was it a difficult move? Was it a move that took vision and courage? No. <laughs> we just picked them up off of Monster.com under quarterbacks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, it was a very unsophisticated move. So I don't really give the organization huge points for that. What I think is interesting is, so what happens if they have a modestly successful year? But say they win 10 games, 10 and 7 now, with this new format. What 
are they doing next year? He may be back. Yeah. Okay. He may be back. Okay, so then we're what? We're loaded for Bear to win the Super Bowl in year 17 of Ryan Fitzpatrick's career? Really? It's certainly not a long-term plan. What's been interesting is Ron multiple times has talked about how you don't have to have an elite franchise quarterback to win a Super Bowl, and he keeps bringing up Nick Foles, even though the Nick Foles argument, right, that kind of conveniently ignores that Carson Wentz had a great year that year, and then Foles took over in the postseason. Well, and, and, and go back and watch the games. Foles was wheezing. Like, they dragged Foles across the finish line and then in the Super Bowl, he went ham. Right. He went nuts. But Foles was not good in a lot of the playoff games. Yeah. And the Vikings, yeah. And the Vikings just, you know, they, they shot the bat against them. So, I don't know. And I'm always cautious to say sometimes the exception proves the rule. And so, Ron can say all he wants about you don't need a franchise quarterback. But generally speaking, you do. Yeah. And obviously, if you can get yourself one, you get yourself one. I think Ron's overall point, and I agree with it, is you can't force it. And so to this past offseason, Washington didn't love any of the other realistically available quarterbacks out there. And so Washington went with this stopgap measure of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like you think about the whole Justin Fields thing. For all of the talk about Washington liking Justin Fields, Washington did not trade up to take Justin Fields because ultimately I don't think Washington loved Justin Fields. Now we'll see if the team is proven right on that. But if you don't love a guy, don't force the love. Don't give up the draft capital to trade up to take the guy if you don't really believe in the guy. So you go with Fitzpatrick for a year, one year, $10 million contract. And you know what? To me, Fitzpatrick has played quite well over the last few seasons. So the notion of him being a substantial upgrade over the quarterback play for this team last season and leading Washington to the playoffs this season, I don't think is that far-fetched. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't hate it, but I also am still wondering, so what is their two, three, four-year plan the way the team is currently constructed? I, I did not want to move up to get any of the guys that we could have reasonably gone up to go get. And unfortunately, this coming spring looks like another soft, or it looks like it's a soft quarterback market, but I don't know. This past year, a number of guys bubbled up, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, like, it could uh, change. Wilson, yeah. yeah, Wilson, D, where they're like, oh, all of a sudden he's a top five guy. So I don't know. But, you know, the, 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 the sand shift quickly, as you know, in this league, and suddenly teams you thought were set at quarterback are suddenly in the market. Getting away from quarterback for Washington, it really is incredible to me when you look at the last 12 months, how Dan Snyder, despite all of these controversies, the name change, the ownership turmoil, the sexual harassment scandal, is now more powerful than ever before. Despite all of this talk of, up, this could be it for Danny, and up, Danny could be ousted as owner, he has come out of both the ownership turmoil and the Beth Wilkinson investigation I think more powerful than ever before. I mean, he bought out the disgruntled minority investors and at a discounted price, and he ended up getting really nothing more than a slap on the wrist via this Beth Wilkinson investigation. What do you think about this? That Dan not only is still in power, but he's more powerful than ever before. How old were you on Black Sunday when the Raiders turned the Redskins inside out like a dirty sock in Tampa in the Super Bowl? I was four. Okay. 
You probably don't remember that day, but your memory is amazing, Bobby. You don't remember that day, do you? No, I don't, sadly. Okay. I remember, and it was the lowest days as a Redskin fan. You take that day and multiply it by 10, <laughs> that's, that is no lie how I felt when I saw what had unfolded on the, what, Friday before 4th of July, when they come out and say, oh, there's no Wilkinson report. It was a horror report, and we're going to find Dan, but everything is wrapped up. I was sick to my stomach, because you're right. He is more powerful. He is apparently untouchable because the league does not want to go down the road of whacking their own owners because they know there's a bunch of other guys that have things that you start this blood in the water, who knows who's next. And our guy felt just one guy on the wrong side of the Jerry Richardson line. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we should have gotten the Jerry Richardson ticket, the cash out of Snyder. I was foolish to believe that, you know what, this might happen. And remember, the ownership struggle and everything else. I mean, you know, to quote one of your favorite series, Breaking Bad, what happened was, I won. Mm-hmm. That's Dan Snyder. He won. So, you know, the, the question is going to be, you know, it's kind of a Ron show right now, right? Yeah. So, Ron is running the show, and that's good for now. You and I have seen enough coaches come through that building. You and I know he ain't going to be here in five years. I doubt it. I mean, maybe. It'd be a long time. Seven years would be the longest that Snyder's ever had a coach. If you have success, they'll be there that long. So what happens after Rivera's gone, you know? Dan still has to run the team for the rest of his life. And he has to learn how to run the team, not like a shithead. And... I'm just pessimistic, Goldie, that after 20 years, I'm still not figuring it out, that he's going to figure it out in the next 20 years. So that's what's depressing to me. At the end of the day, owners have to run teams as smart, not just businessmen, but managers, and not just weirdo recluses who are afraid to talk to the media. There are many things to like about Ron Rivera. Does he strike you as the guy who could be the guy who finally makes things work under Dan Snyder, that Ron Rivera ends up succeeding as Washington head coach in a way that every other head coach prior to him under Danny has not? Well, I mean, I, I, think, he's, I think he's doing a lot of things to get the organization trimmed up into a direction and operation that is as high quality as it's ever been under Snyder. But I just think that all these things can be temporary. They can be washed away with the next big wave that, you know, once, you know, if, if, if he ends up getting fired, then what's going to happen next? You know, I mean, Steiner's offloaded so much of the operation of the team to Ron Rivera, and I guess that's smart. But like I said, at the end of the day, he's still the owner. The owner will outlast this coach yeah. and several more coaches. He's a young owner, not since. Yeah, I know. Bought the team in his mid-30s, which is incredible uh, when you think about that. Rue the day that he won the rights to that, like we all do. But we might have a season this year. I mean, there's a lot to be optimistic about. I mean, holy crap, the speed on offense they've got now is something else. And Curtis Samuel could be an absolute killer. Everyone's raving about Deontay Brown. 
got a yellow gunslinger quarterback who can get it to him. Pretty accurately, you can also run for first downs when scrambling, which is great. I mean, we had one-legged keg leg Alex Smith last year. So, I mean, they're going to move the chains this year. And defensively, they should be nasty as well. But I want to see them turn the other teams over more. I want to see them sack teams more, not just be good in the sort of, you know, broad categories of defense, yards per game, et cetera. Yeah, there certainly is another level that the defense can get to. I did want to get your take on the Wizards off what the Milwaukee Bucks just did, given that you're doing radio in Milwaukee. You are, of course, like me, a lifelong Wizards slash Bullets fan. You were once hoops, in fact. Yes, I was. Watching the Bucks do as they did, can you, in your even craziest Wizards thoughts, ever see the Wizards doing as the Bucks just did? I mean, obviously, it takes a franchise-changing player like Giannis, but where are you on the Wizards right now of having just followed what the Bucks did? First and foremost, I'd love for D.C. to experience it because it was something that, you know, you remember how great the capture run was? Yeah. The red, the red tide filling up the streets around, you know, Capital One. You'd have that times 10 with basketball because, you know, hockey is still a niche sport, obviously. That was incredible fun. Uh, the Bucks are an extremely likable team. Giannis is amazing. He's truly a, a unicorn amongst professional athletes these days. Um, I think it'll be hard to do for Ted just because, I mean, eventually he might do it. Uh, but, you know, these, these trust fund boys that bought the Bucks from the beloved Senator Herb Cole, who finally decided to sell the team, nobody really knew what their deal was, right? And it turns out that they're pretty solid, pretty unassuming, smart hedge fund dudes who came in and said, look, we want a first-class organization, first-class in every way possible. And they worked to get a new stadium built, and they succeeded, and then they they got lucky with Giannis. I mean, it, like, none of this happens without Giannis. And Giannis is just, it's, it's the fluke of a lifetime to get a guy that good, that unique, that humble, that dedicated, that willing to improve his game, uh, a marketer's dream, and to get that guy to stay was another thing that you literally have to get a kid who didn't come up through the AAU ranks, who doesn't care about you know endorsement deals and you know lifestyle of living in another city that's a bigger city or on the West Coast or anything like that. I mean, it's a totally unique situation. I mean, they're just very, very lucky to have had him, but it it takes that one big guy. The thing with the Wizards, though, is that I look at it like, well, the Beal-Westbrook combo has limited upside, in my opinion. So that experiment has to unravel first to then start over to build a team that truly could win a championship. Do you feel like the Beal-Westbrook combo has upside to it? I think if the Wizards could add a third major piece to Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook, then you're talking about potentially, say, a team that's capable of getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. But the goal, of course, should not be the Eastern Conference Finals. The goal should be the NBA Finals and winning an NBA championship. And I'm not sure, even if you add a third major piece, that the Wizards even then are NBA championship caliber. But, you know, you talk about the Beal-Westbrook experiment running its course. We may be on the verge of that if Bradley Beal ends up asking to be traded, as multiple reports over the weekend suggested he may do. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the Westbrook thing worked out better than it, I mean, it looked horrible at the start of the year, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but it worked out better. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, Hachimura could really come on as a, as a third option. Maybe we'll see that. Beal can opt out next offseason. So to me, the, the Wizards, they have to choose one of two very different paths. They either have to double down on Westbrook and Beal and get a third major piece this offseason, or they gotta sell they gotta sell Beal now. So yeah, so you're right. So if, if Beal is opt outable, he will almost certainly do so just for flexibility and leverage, because shit. So many teams would love to have that guy, wouldn't they? They would. I mean, I think Beal, he's one of those classic guys, right? He's really good. He's not elite. He's an elite scorer, but he's not an elite defender. Like, there are things about Beal's game that bother me. Like, every year the Wizards are bad defensively, and he always talks about how they need to be better defensively, but he never seems to lead the way in them being better defensively, which I, I think is, is he, an issue. He'd, he'd, he'd be one of the best number two guys to drop in yeah. to an existing superstar face of the franchise. Like, you know, and for, for a while, people were bitching about Middleton here. You know, ah, he's overpaid and he's not that good. I think Beal is a plus compared to Middleton in terms of a drop and you know, plug and play, drop him in there, number two guy. You can never have enough shooting, and he gives you great shooting and all around game. So here's a question I asked Sheehan, uh, and I'll ask it to you, NBA wise. On column A, you've got your choice, Giannis or Luka Doncic. Column B is any other player in the NBA, but you have to take into consideration age and injuries. Which do you choose? Column A, and which one, or column B? Sheehan deliberated and said, you know what, I'd go column B and he'd take Durant. All things considered, age, injuries, etc. No, I'd, I'd go column A, and I'd probably go Giannis. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I think age and injuries matter a lot. And Durant's great, but, you know, nobody's great forever. Giannis could be great for the next 10 years. Doncic, the same thing. I don't know how you turn that down. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why either guy wouldn't be great for another 10 years. Yeah. The, the thing, too, with Giannis is I, I've wondered because he's not from this country, and, and you kind of brought this up, he's not from the AU culture. How much has that been of benefit to where he wasn't, as soon as he was drafted by Milwaukee, looking for a way oh, to get out of Milwaukee? A hundred percent. Yeah. A million percent. I mean, this kid was sharing sneakers with his brother, selling <laughs> right. DVDs in the streets of Greece. Right. And, yeah. and he almost, you know, there's a woman who just wrote a book about us, he almost went home after like the first couple months at, in the NBA with the Bucks. Because it looked like his family was going to get denied a green card to come join him here. And he felt so out of place, so unsure about, you know, am I really going to make it in this league? But luckily he stayed. And so it worked out. But to him, he doesn't give a shit about all this L.A. stuff and New York markets. I mean, I mean, he hates Harden which is great. He's always getting digs in on Harden, saying, you know, build the team the right way. And somebody told me that, I guess, LeBron had offered him, hey, why don't you come out to L.A. and work out with me in the offseason? And Giannis was like, no, I'm good. Wow. Good for yeah. him. Yeah. So so that's what's great. Now, my fear is that could change. And God help us if that does. My boy Josh here is driving the car, and he's shaking his head like, oh, boy, you better not. But for right now, he is just this innocent golden child. I mean, you saw him order the Chick Fil A, right? Yeah, that was that was awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> and I mean, holy cow! 
the, the Chick-fil-A was mobbed with people. As soon as he went on Instagram and said, I'm going to Chick-fil-A, they knew exactly where one of the two Chick-fil-A's in the market are, because they only have two of them. And I mean, it was a, it was a madhouse by the time he pulled into the drive-thru. That's great. W- one more on Giannis. So he put on like 60 pounds, right? Yeah, they showed that graphic. He came in the league at 6'9", 193, I think. And he's now 6'11", 242. Wow. Something like that. Yeah. And not a single tattoo on him either, which I also find interesting. You know, nothing against tattoos, if that's your thing. But he might be one of the six guys in the league without any ink. Yeah. So he's just a different cat. And he is an amazing effing player. Oh, my God. He is a freak. The Greek freak. Uh, Zabe, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Continued success with the Zabe cast and the Steve Zabin show on 97.3 The Game in Milwaukee. Charlie, it's always great to talk to you. Your, our conversations are great. I'll get you on my podcast one of these days soon. And I'm looking forward to the Wolf having a season here. I think it's going to be a lot more interesting than going into last year. And I'm just glad to be done with the whole Haskins thing. And after that whole thing, it's not fiance, and then she gets arrested. Oh. <laughs> And did you see the other thing that popped up about Haskins about a week and a half ago? So an Instagram model put out what are supposedly messages from Dwayne asking for his $20,000 back that he paid her to sleep with her. Oh, yes. Because <laughs> he paid her to sleep with her. And the moron asked for the money back and she publicized it. I saw that. Yeah, I was like, wow. That really shows you he just wasn't mature enough for the job <laughs> that he was handed. But here's the thing. Closing thought on that. I also thought, Dolly, under any other administration than Ron Rivera, under a more of a, a, a slappy coach like Jay Gruden admitted he was, we'd be walking into this year hand-holding Haskins through all of this. Oh, my God. And saying, and no, and saying oh, no, we think he's going to be fine in third year is when it really starts to click in for some of these players, you know we would. You know we would. It took a strong personality like Rivera to say, we're cutting him. Goodbye. What an embarrassment that whole thing became. All because he went to the wrong prep school, Danny's kid. I know. It's it's nuts. It's the kind of thing, if you explain to someone who doesn't follow the team, they're like, what? And you're like, no, actually, that's what happened. Yeah, that's what happened. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks a lot. All right, good to catch up with Zabe. And now the time has come to conclude our countdown to Washington football team training camp. What has been, remember, the final countdown. It's the final countdown. Yes, the final countdown, which now is almost complete. I have been giving to you a position group by position group breakdown of the Washington football team heading into training camp. Training camp beginning today, July 27th in Richmond. will take place in Richmond through July 31st. Then we'll move to the team facility in Ashburn. We've been going in-depth on one position group each show. The three biggest questions for the position group for training camp, excluding injury, excluding does everyone stay healthy, because that's a question for every position group. And these are questions for training camp, questions to which we'll have answers by the end of training camp. 
not questions for the upcoming season, questions for camp. The breakdown started on episode 100, so if you have missed any of the breakdowns, you can find them beginning with episode 100. I talked quarterback on Monday's show, episode 108, and now on this episode 109, we talk special teams. Washington has a great history with special teams. Washington special teams coach over George Allen's first two seasons as Washington head coach, 1971 and 72, was none other than Marv Levy. Uh, Special teams were a huge deal to Joe Gibbs. Washington has had a number of great special teams players over the years. Brian Mitchell, Mike Nelms, Eddie Brown, Lorenzo Alexander, Mark Mosley, Chip Lowmiller, Tress Way. Yes, I would say Tress Way may be the best punter in the history of the franchise at this point. So what is the state of Washington's special teams as training camp begins? Question number one for Washington football team special teams in training camp. Who is Washington's primary punt returner? Nothing on Washington special teams needs to be fixed more than punt returns. Washington has been terrible on punt returns each of the last four seasons. The Washington football team finished the 2020 regular season just 27th out of 32 NFL teams in yards per punt return at 5.68. This off finishing the 2019 regular season number 32 in the NFL, dead last in yards per punt return at 4.73. That was off finishing the 2018 regular season just 25th out of 32 NFL teams in yards per punt return at 6.47. And that was off Washington finishing the 2017 regular season just 27th out of 32 NFL teams in yards per punt return at 6.14. So over the last four seasons, working backwards, Washington's rankings in yards per punt return are 27th, 32nd, 25th, and 27th. That, my friends, is horrible. The last season in which Washington was good on punt returns was 2016. Receiver Jamison Crowder finished the 2016 regular season fourth in the NFL in yards per punt return at 12.15. Additionally, Washington had a major problem with fumbles on punt returns last season. Receivers Steven Sims and Isaiah Wright were guilty of way too many fumbles on punt returns last regular season. One of the moments that sticks with me, the 2014 win at the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday Night Football in Week 17 to clinch the NFC East. Steven Sims had a fourth-quarter zero-yard punt return off a muffed catch of a punt for yet another fumble. Sims thankfully recovered the ball, but he did so at the Washington 25. This play could have been disastrous. That play came with Washington nursing a 2014 lead in the fourth quarter. Imagine if he doesn't recover that fumble. Eagles get the ball at the Washington 25. I know the Eagles tanked the game in the fourth quarter with Nate Sudfeld, the former Washington quarterback, at quarterback. But like this thing of this layup win for Washington at the Eagles in week 17, uh, the Washington football team almost blew that game thanks to Steven Sims' muffed catch of a punt in the fourth quarter. You also had to remember with Steven Sims what happened in the previous game, the 2013 loss to the Carolina Panthers at FedEx Field in Week 16. Sims, a disastrous muff catch of a punt late in the first quarter, resulting in a lost fumble that was recovered by receiver Brandon Zilstra for a 6-0 Panthers lead. So it wasn't just that Washington was bad on punt returns in terms of yardage last season. It's that Washington could not hold on to the football on punt returns 
last season. So Washington has to be better on punt returns. I don't think that Steven Sims is making the season opening roster. I don't think that Isaiah Wright is making the season opening roster. Injuries can change these outlooks, but right now I think both guys are on the outside looking in. So expect new blood on punt returns. The primary candidates for punt returner for Washington include three receivers in DeAndre Carter, Dax Milne, and Adam Humphreys, and corner Danny Johnson. The favorite to me is DeAndre Carter. So the Washington football team on April 1st announced the signing of Carter as an unrestricted free agent. He is a receiver, but he's more a return man. He's going into his age 28 season. He is small. Uh, Washington lists Carter as being 5'8 and 188 pounds, but he is fast. Carter in March 2015 at the Sacramento State Pro Day, ran a 4-4-4-40. He came into the NFL with the Baltimore Ravens as an undrafted rookie out of Sacramento State in 2015, and he's bounced around a bunch. Uh, Carter comes to Washington having spent time with the Ravens, Oakland Raiders, New England Patriots, San Francisco 49ers, Philadelphia Eagles, Houston Texans, and Chicago Bears. He hasn't caught many passes, 34 receptions over 43 career regular season games, but he has returned a bunch of punts and a bunch of kickoffs, 63 career regular season punt returns, an average of 9.35 yards per punt return. That's quite good. Uh, 45 career regular season kickoff returns, an average of just 21.84 yards per kickoff return. That's nothing special, but Washington can have Danny Johnson on kickoff returns again. He did a pretty good job on kickoff returns last season. Is DeAndre Carter the fix for Washington's punt return problem? Is someone else the fix? Or are we about to have a fifth consecutive season in which Washington is brutal on punt returns? Going to be very interesting to see who emerges in training camp as Washington's primary punt return man. Question number two for Washington football team special teams in training camp. Is competition brought in for Dustin Hopkins at any point? I'm guessing that the answer ultimately is no, but this is a topic worth exploring. So the Washington football team on March 17th, the first day of the NFL's new league year, officially announced the re-signing of Hopkins, who was an unrestricted free agent. He's going into his age 31 season. He's coming off an uneven 2020 season. Hopkins in 2020 dealt with a right groin injury and some struggles, but still was Washington's kicker for all 17 games, the 16 regular season games and the playoff game. As you may recall, Hopkins got off to a sketchy start to his 2020 season. Hopkins, in fact, missed one kick, a field goal attempt or an extra point attempt in seven of Washington's first 10 games in the 2020 season. You go back to the 30-27 loss at the Detroit Lions in week 10. Hopkins in that game had a first quarter 38-yard field goal and a clutch game-tying 41-yard field goal with 16 seconds left in the fourth quarter. But he also missed a 43-yard field goal attempt in the second quarter. And Ron Rivera during a Zoom press conference the day after the game said that the team was, quote, talking about and discussing, end quote, replacing Hopkins. But Ron ended up not replacing Hopkins, and Hopkins did get better as the season went on. Hopkins over Washington's final six games of the 2020 regular season went 13 of 14 on field goals off over the first 10 games, having gone just 14 of 20 on field goals. Hopkins was big in the 23-17 win at the Pittsburgh Steelers in week 13. Three of three on field goals, all of which were lengthy, a 49-yarder with one second left in the second quarter, a 45-yarder with 204 left in the fourth quarter, and a 45-yarder with 17 seconds left 
in the fourth quarter. Hopkins, for his work in that game, was named NFC Special Teams Player of the Week, although he did have a short kickoff off Washington, having just tied the game at 17 in the fourth quarter. The kickoff went to just the Steelers' six, resulted in a 32-yard return by Steelers receiver Ray Ray McLeod, but the uh, ensuing Steelers' offensive drive resulted in a turnover on downs. But Hopkins ended the 2020 season kicking well. He has been excellent on kickoffs for Washington. Hopkins routinely has a touchback percentage that blows away the league average. Like, for instance, last NFL regular season, the league average in terms of touchback percentages among kickers was 61.2. Hopkins had a touchback percentage of 83.3. I mean, how about that discrepancy? League average, 61.2. Hopkins touchback percentage, 83.3. He has been Washington's kicker for years. Uh, This maybe has snuck up on some of you, but Washington originally signed Dustin Hopkins in September 2015 as the corresponding roster move to cutting fellow kicker Kai Forbath just days after the 17-10 loss to the Miami Dolphins at FedEx Field in week one of that season. And so Hopkins has been Washington's kicker over the last six seasons, 2015 through 2020. Uh, That's a long time for a kicker to last with a team, especially in today's day and age. And Dustin Hopkins, by the way, last season surpassed the great Mark Mosley for most made field goals of at least 50 yards in Washington regular season history. Mosley 12 for 38 on field goal attempts of 50 or more yards with Washington in the regular season. Hopkins is 13 for 25 on field goal attempts of 50 or more yards with Washington in the regular season. Here to me is the way to look at Dustin Hopkins. He's pretty good, uh, but not very good. He's not a bad kicker, but he's certainly not an elite kicker. He's like the Andy Dalton of kickers. If you think back to when Dalton was at his peak, good enough to do well with, but never great enough to truly be viewed as special. The problem with just cutting Dustin Hopkins is that there's no guarantee that the next guy will be better. And as we've seen in the NFL, team seasons can be ruined by ineffective kickers. What you wouldn't want for Washington would be for it to cut Hopkins because it feels like it can do better and then have a season in which there's a revolving door at kicker. At least with Hopkins, you know what you have. And like I said, he is a lead on kickoffs. But I do wonder if he struggles in training camp do we at least see Washington bring in some competition? Hopkins has been in trouble before during his tenure with Washington. He's always come out of it. He's always survived. At some point, you got to think he's not going to survive. And question number three for Washington football team special teams in training camp, is Cameron Cheeseman killing it as the new long snapper? He better kill it. I have liked many things about Washington's offseason The two things that I have not liked, A, the Brandon Sheriff situation, B, trading for a 2021 six-round pick that was used on a long snapper. The Washington football team on day three of the 2021 NFL draft traded a 2022 fifth-round pick to the Philadelphia Eagles for one of their 2021 six-round picks and one of the Eagles' 2021 seventh-round picks. Washington used that newly acquired six-round pick on Michigan long snapper Cameron Cheeseman. You should never draft a long snapper, just like you should never draft a kicker or punter. Oh, sure, maybe there's an exception here or there, but by and large, you don't draft guys at these positions. You find these guys on the cheap, as these guys mostly vary in terms of performance year to year. Do you know how Washington got Tress Way? 
Washington got Tressway off waivers in August 2014. That's how you do special teams. Spending a draft choice on a long snapper was ridiculous, in my opinion. And it's not even like Cheeseman was viewed as some elite long snapper. He wasn't even on the pro football-focused draft board for the 2021 NFL draft. Cheeseman in the 2019 season, his last college season for PFF, had a snap accuracy as a long snapper of just 84.7%. So Cheeseman was a three-year long snapper for Michigan, 2017 through 2019. He opted out of the 2020 season. His announcement of that said that he opted out in order to prepare for the 2021 NFL draft, but he, in an ESPN.com article that was published in April 2021, said that he opted out due to head coach Jim Harbaugh saying that a scholarship for Cheeseman was not available. But whatever the case may be, Washington traded for a six-round pick, used that six-round pick on the long snapper, Cameron Cheeseman. Uh, Look, I trust Ron Rivera, so maybe Cameron Cheeseman ends up being Washington's long snapper for years to come. But philosophically, I don't ever like spending a draft pick on a long snapper. Every pick is precious. Good players get taken with sixth and seventh round picks every year. Alfred Morris was a sixth round pick in 2012. Chase Roulier was a sixth round pick in 2017. Cameron Curl was a seventh round pick in 2020. I hate to think that Washington cost itself a shot at someone along those lines just to take a long snapper. We shall see. He better be great. He better be the greatest long snapper in the history of long snappers. And of course, he is replacing a longtime Washington long snapper in Nick Sundberg, who on March 17th announced that he had been told that he was no longer in Washington's plans. Sundberg was Washington's long snapper for 11 seasons. How did Washington acquire Nick Sundberg, you ask? Washington signed him on January 29th, 2010 to a reserve slash future contract. Again, you find these guys on the cheap. Uh, Sundberg, of course, ultimately replaced Ethan Albright, who was Washington's long snapper from 2001 through 2009. So yeah, 2001 through 2020, Washington had two long snappers, Ethan Albright and Nick Sundberg. So maybe Cameron Cheeseman is the next in line and he's here for at least the next decade. I hope that that's the case. But yeah, I just don't like spending a pick on a long snapper, especially a pick that you traded for. Uh, That to me is just not the way to do the position. But we'll see. Cameron Cheeseman, how does he look in training camp? And is he delivering on Washington having traded for the draft pick that was used on him? All right, guys, if you love listening to me on the Al Galdi podcast, what's stopping you from grabbing a mic and starting your own show? And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of all that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for just $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to me talk about D.C. area sports, then make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more. That's bwhustle.com slash join. You can always tweet me at Al Galdi. I got this tweet from Edge late on Monday night. 
Can we please bring the soundbite of the can't trust it bullpen back if the Nats blow this game at the Phillies? Come through for me. I got this tweet from David T late on Monday night. Can we get a can't trust it, just one, I'm begging? Well, gentlemen, your wishes are my command, as public enemy said back in the day. Can't trust it! Yes, can't trust it, not can't trust it, can't trust it. And as Flava Flav then says, no, 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 no. The Nats bullpen, you can't trust it. Not right now. Certainly not Brad Hand. Another blown save for Brad Hand on Monday night as the Nationals lost their fifth consecutive game. 6-5 the final at the Philadelphia Phillies in game one of a four-game series. A game, by the way, that took three hours, 37 minutes as Major League Baseball in 2021 continues to tell anyone and everyone to stop watching it because the games just take forever. Uh, But anyway, the Nats bullpen, terrible again. Five Nats relievers combined to allow six runs in three into third innings. But really, it was about just two guys, Austin Voth and Brad Hand. Austin Voth was horrendous in a Phillies three-run six inning during which he gave up three runs and got just two outs. He allowed each of the first four batters he faced to reach base. He gave up a leadoff single to our old pal, Bryce Harper, gave up a full count double to Andrew McCutcheon, despite him having been down in the count at 1.02, gave up a three-run homer to Reese Hoskins to left field on a 1-2 pitch to cut the Nats' lead to 4-3, and then gave up a full count single to D.D. Gregorius. Now, Sam Clay then came into the game, faced one batter, got one out, striking out Brad Miller on five pitches to end the bottom of the sixth. Kyle Finnegan did then toss a scoreless bottom of the seventh with two strikeouts. Daniel Hudson tossed a scoreless bottom of the eighth, despite giving up two singles as he got a very generous called strike three on Alec Bohm for the third out with runners on first and second. And then came the Brad Hand experience in a Phillies three-run ninth inning. Hand giving up three runs, getting just one out, and blowing a save for a second consecutive game. Hand was awful. He gave up a leadoff double to Gene Segura, issued a wild pitch, issued a one-out five-pitch walk to Bryce Harper, and then gave up the big blow. A one-out first pitch walk-off three-run homer to Andrew McCutcheon. The Nats, who were up 4 nothing in the sixth inning, end up losing this game 6-5. So the Nats, who were already done when it comes to this season, now are even more done. The Nats are well done after this game. Five consecutive losses now. Nine games below 500 now at 45-54. and 54. We can talk more about Monday night's loss in a bit, but the headline item from your Nationals Monday was that the Nats apparently are going to be doing what I want them to do and what I know many of you want them to do, and that is sell. Yes, this looks like it's actually going to happen, and this is starting to look like it may happen in a manner in which we never thought possible. So the MLB trade deadline is this Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, and how about this tweet from MLB insider John Heyman on Monday night, quote, Nat's message to other teams, everyone but Juan Soto is available. The reason Trey Turner is not included with Soto is the team has been unable to lock him up 
with their past attempts. End quote. Yes, there was a lot circulating regarding Trey Turner on Monday. Peter Gammons on Monday morning, the longtime MLB insider, he tweeted, quote, keep hearing Washington ownership isn't going to do anything long-term with Trey Turner. Talk about a market changer, end quote. National baseball writer Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post on late Monday afternoon tweeted, quote, Nationals are getting a lot of interest in Trey Turner, according to person familiar. Sounds like they haven't ruled out dealing him, but would need to be presented with a total no-brainer of a deal, end quote. So Trey Turner will be a free agent after next season, after the 2022 season. He's in the midst of his age 28 season. He is obviously one of the best shortstops in baseball. So much of what the Nats should do with Trey Turner to me does come down to the cost of signing Trey Turner to a long-term contract. So trading away the significant free agents to be is a total no-brainer, okay? And it's even more of a no-brainer now. So Max Scherzer should be gone. Brad Hand, Daniel Hudson, gone. Kyle Schwarber, Jan Gomes, Josh Harrison, gone. All those guys are set to be free agents after this season. All of those guys can leave you for nothing after this season. Ergo, all of those guys should be traded prior to 4 p.m. Eastern on Friday. Trey Turner is a different story. Like I said, he's under contract through next season. But this is almost like a Bradley Beal situation with the Wizards, where if he's not going to be here for the long haul, you need to maximize the asset. And if for whatever reason you don't think he's going to be here for the long haul, then you need to trade him either now or this offseason. So Trey Turner is a really good player. I would not, though, pay him top-of-the-market shortstop money because top-of-the-market shortstop money is another one of these massive, onerous contracts, the likes of which don't normally work out. The top-of-the-market now at shortstop is the Francisco Lindor contract with the New York Mets. The Mets in April signed Lindor to a 10-year, 341 million dollar contract extension. Now, I don't think it would take that to re-sign Trey Turner, but understand, Lindor is in the midst of his age 27 season. Trey Turner, like I said, is in the midst of his age 28 season. So I don't know how much less than that it might take to re-sign Trey Turner. And if the ultimate contract for Trey Turner has to start with a three, i.e. 300 plus million dollars, I'm not doing that. And I say this as someone who likes Trey Turner a lot, but the history of these big money contracts is clear. They almost always don't work out. Even when they do kind of sort of work out, they don't really work out. The only long-term mega money contracts that seem to work are those extensions for guys in their early to mid-20s. Those situations in which you buy out a guy's arbitration years, and maybe a free agency year or two. And so it's a win-win. It's a win for the club and that you have the guy for years to come. It's a win for the player and that he ends up making more in his arbitration years than he would have without the extension. But otherwise, signing guys to mega contracts that take guys deep into their 30s, those don't normally work out. And you think about Trey Turner. Like I said, age 28 season now, under contract for next season, that'll be his age 29 season, you actually might be able to do the thing that a lot of people in analytics will tell you is like the ideal thing. And that is you have the guy in his 20s, you're paying him below market value because he's in his arbitration years, and then you let him waltz into free agency where he gets overpaid in his 30s 
by somebody else. That's almost like the perfect way to do this. And the Nationals actually can do this that way with Trey Turner. Now, again, I know a lot of you are probably saying, why do you want to lose Trey Turner? I don't. I don't. But if it's going to cost $300 million to resign him, you tell me, seeing right now what the Nationals are going through with Steven Strasburg and this albatross that is his seven-year, $245 million contract, even what the Nats are going through right now with Patrick Corbin and his six-year, $140 million contract. Do you want to add another albatross of a contract to the payroll here? Not that there's a salary cap in baseball, but we do know that there are budgets in baseball and the learners do have a budget that they set and that they make Mike Rizzo abide by. And so these values of contracts matter. The money totals in these contracts matter. Now, if you could do Trey Turner for, I don't know, something around $200 million, then yeah, I'm much more open to giving him a long-term deal. But I'm not doing some Lindor-like contract for Trey Turner. And I tend to think that may be what he's looking for. I'm not doing that. I don't blame the Nats for trading Trey Turner if, in fact, that's what he's asking for. The question, though, becomes, do you get a good enough offer to pull the trigger on a Trey Turner trade now? Or do you wait until the offseason? Because that was when Lindor got traded from the Cleveland Indians, or Cleveland Guardians, uh, to the Mets. That's also, remember, when Mookie Betts got traded from the Boston Red Sox to the Los Angeles Dodgers in the offseason, not come a trade deadline. Trey Turner, by the way, two singles on Monday night. The other thing that was out there with the Nationals from a trade deadline perspective on Monday was Nats insider Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post on late Monday afternoon tweeting that Max Scherzer will not be using his 10-5 rights to veto a trade in order to remain with the Nats. In other words, Max is open to leaving. I think it's pretty clear with Max. He wants to play for a contender. He wants to be on a winning team. And if the Nats don't plan on winning, then Max doesn't want to be here. So he's not going to use his 10-5 rights. 10-5 rights, by the way. So players who have accrued 10 years of major league service time and have spent the past five consecutive years with the same team are awarded 10-5 and rights. Under these circumstances, a player can veto any trade scenario involving him that is proposed. So 10-5 rights basically mean you can dictate whether you get traded or not. So Max could use his 10-5 rights to look at a market in which there are multiple teams with trade offers for him and say, well, I'll approve a trade here, but I won't approve a trade there. But according to Doherty, Max is willing to approve a potential trade. So with this debacle of a Nationals loss, on Monday night. I mean, at this point, I'm not sure really how much these games matter, okay? Because the Nats are out. They're selling, and they could be selling much harder than we ever could have anticipated. But the Nats blew it with the bullpen. The Nats did get a great start from Joe Ross in his return from the 10-day injured list. The Nats on Monday reinstated Ross from the 10-day IL, which he had been on since July 8th, retroactive to July 7th with right elbow inflammation. Uh, By the way, the corresponding roster move to the Nats reinstating Ross from the 10-day IL was the Nats optioning Yadiel Hernandez to AAA Rochester. But Ross had been out for a few weeks, and he goes out there at the Phillies on Monday night and pitches well. Five scoreless innings on 72 pitches. He had four strikeouts. He only gave up three hits, all of which were singles, and one of which was due to a brain cramp by Josh Bell. Issued two walks, one of which was intentional, and did issue a hit by pitch. But Joe Ross was good. And what's so interesting about Joe Ross's season is the Jekyll and Hyde nature of it. I have a saying that I use with Joe Ross on the Nats Chat podcast. 
that I do with Mark Zuckerman. And the saying is, spin the wheel, make the deal. Every Joe Ross outing is something where you just have no idea what you're going to get. And it's exciting in some ways, you know, but it's like spinning a wheel and you just see what the deal ends up being. Joe Ross has made 17 starts this season. That outing on Monday night, again, five scoreless innings, marked the seventh start out of 17 in which Joe Ross has allowed zero earned runs. The outing marked the 12th start out of 17 in which Ross allowed two earned runs or less. And yet, and yet, his ERA for the season is still 380. Why? Because the bad starts have been really bad. This guy this season has either been like lights out or has been awful. It's been like one extreme or the other. Now, there's been more good than bad. And a 380 ERA for a guy who was supposed to be your number five starter this season is actually quite good. But man, has he had a volatile season. Uh, But good to see Ross pitch as he did, facing a pretty good hitting team in the Philadelphia Phillies. Five scoreless innings for Ross on Monday night. It's a shame that the bullpen couldn't hold things down. Uh, The Nats had a four-run fourth inning on Monday night. That was good to see. And it was an odd inning because you had back-to-back RBI triples in the inning. How often do you see that? Josh Bell and Josh Harrison each hitting an RBI triple in the inning. Uh, The Bell triple, I mean, that's something else, right? You don't expect Josh Bell to be lacing triples, and Eddie had one there on Monday night. A two-out first pitch RBI triple off the right field wall in that Nationals four-run, fourth inning. It was an interesting night, though, for Josh Bell. He had a defensive brain cramp in the bottom of the first. He was way too casual on a slow-rolling JT Real Muto grounder, got beaten to first base by Real Muto for an infield single that put runners on first and second with no outs. I mentioned Harrison with his RBI triple in that Nationals four-run, fourth inning. Uh, Tress Barrera had a multi-hit night. He was back to being the Nats starting catcher, two for three with two singles and a walk. Alcides Escobar had a multi-hit night, two for five with a couple of singles. Uh, Juan Soto did go hit less. I noted this on Monday's show. Juan had one hit over the course of the three-game sweep at the Orioles over the weekend. Although the one hit was a homer, he went hitless on Monday night, uh, 0 for 3 with two strikeouts, also grounded into another double play. Did draw two walks. He's drawing a bunch of walks these days, but uh, not exactly racking up the hits. Also did have a big defensive play, too. I've talked about this. Juan Soto defensively has done a really nice job in right field this year. Soto had a big outfield assist for the final out in the bottom of the first. Bases loaded, one out, took charge in shallow right center field to catch a Reese Hoskins fly ball, and then threw out Gene Segura at home for an inning-ending double play. But whatever, man, the national season, for all intents and purposes, is done at this point. And the real intrigue now is that MLB trade deadline, Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. I can't imagine that there's anyone left who feels like the Nationals have to stay in this thing and not sell. I mean, at this point, it could not be clear the Nats need to get out when it comes to this season. As I've been saying, it doesn't have to be the start of some massive rebuild. Trade away the free agents to be. Trade away the guys who can leave you this coming offseason. And then when it comes to someone like Trey Turner, see what's out there. You don't have to trade Trey Turner by Friday, but if you get a great offer, you should be open to it if, in fact, you don't feel like you're going to end up resigning the guy. And that's the thing with the Trey Turner situation. There's information we don't know. What is his asking price? What is the feeling behind the scenes in terms of what it's ultimately going to cost to sign the guy to a long-term contract? And if he's looking for Francisco Lindor money, I'm sorry, I'm not giving that to him. So 
You either trade him come the deadline Friday or you trade him this offseason. Game two for the Nats at the Phillies Tuesday night at 7.05. Eric Fetty gets a start. Going to be interesting to see how Fetty does. This will be start number five for Fetty since coming off the 10-day injured list, which he was on with a left oblique strain. First three starts off the IL did not go well. His most recent start did go well, came in that 3-1, 10-inning loss to the Miami Marlins in Nationals Park last Wednesday night. Fetty in that game, one run unearned in six innings. All right, that will do it for you and me. But just for now, keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 110, will feature a full report on everything that mattered from day one of Washington football team training camp. Wednesday, by the way, also marks the start of NHL free agency. That'll begin at noon Eastern. The Capitals on Monday night making a trade. Uh, The Caps dealt defenseman Brendan Dillon to the Winnipeg Jets for two second-round draft picks and a salary cap move. Caps got back a second-round pick in the 2022 NHL draft and a second-round pick in the 2023 NHL draft. The Caps, in October 2020, re-signed Dylan to a four-year contract with an average annual value of $3.9 million. So you get rid of that $3.9 million AAV. You get back two second-round picks. We have to see what else the Caps do in terms of defensemen this offseason, but this is a trade that could end up looking like a good one for the Caps. They shed salary, then get younger and faster now at defensemen, and the Caps added two second-round picks. Caps needed more draft picks. Caps got Dylan in February 2020 from the San Jose Sharks for a 2020 second-round pick and a conditional 2021 third-round pick. Also, the Sharks agreed to retain 50% of Dylan's salary and cap hits. You gave up a two and a conditional three to get Dylan. You trade him away you get back two twos. I mean, that's not too bad. Also, the Caps on Monday did tender a qualifying offer to restricted free agent to be Ilya Samsonov. No surprise there. He is going to be, at least as far as we can tell, the Caps' number one goaltender for this coming season with Vitek Vanacek having been plucked by the Seattle Kraken in that team's expansion draft. But the big thing that we're all waiting on, of course, is the resigning of Alex Ovechkin, who technically is set to become an unrestricted free agent, although every expectation all along has been that he'll be re-signing with the Caps. The shedding of Dylan's salary would seem to be part of re-signing Ovechkin and also Samsonov. Have a great rest of your Tuesday. I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Jello pudding pops, Jello pudding pops, frozen pudding on a stick. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.